for any female founder listening right now, what kind of advice would you give them? I think if it comes to setbacks, I think resilience is very important. I think I always like go back to Gandhi who said, be the change you want to see in the world. How long did that go on for, that darker time in your life? Um, well, I would say at the beginning, there was quite a dark time. And that was the time when I, I graduated from school. I wanted to see the world. Today on the podcast, being a female leader in business and alternative medicine with Annabelle Ullman, the co-founder of the public company, The Healing Co. My name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. Hello, Annabelle. How are you doing today? Hi, Mimi. I'm great. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Can't wait for this conversation. We have so much goodness to get into. So sometimes when I have a fellow founder on the podcast, I like to ask them about their company mission statement because it just says so much about them as a person, their company. So I'm going to read yours out loud to start this conversation. You are, quote, United by a bold vision to bring integrative healing to the world. First of all, explain for the listeners who don't know, what is integrative healing? Yeah, sure. So in our view, integrative healing is about optimizing both the physical health and the mental well-being. So really tackling both aspects and also from different perspectives. So looking at science and ancient wisdom science and nature, really combining the ends. Because we have felt that looking at the current situation, a lot of people always see it as an or. So either you trust science or you trust ancient wisdom and nature. And really bringing that back together, integrating that to get a whole new perspective on health and healing and really looking at the person as a whole. That's incredible. I love that. And it's what I uh, practice and preach as well myself. I feel like with my company too, we're trying to bring that neuroscience back into guided meditation and audio. So that's really awesome to hear. So you say that you want to heal the world. I'm on that boat. It's bold though, to say the (laughs) least. Where do you even begin to heal the world? What is the first big thing that we have to tackle? It's a really, really good question because, yeah, like you're saying, it's a, it's a really bold statement. And we know it's not going to be easy, but we're in this. And we know it's going to be a marathon. It's not going to be a sprint. It's going to take a while. But I think when you say or when you ask, where do we even start? And I think I always like go back to Gandhi who said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I think that is something that is really important to us as the healing company. We want to embody healing ourselves first, which means we look at each individual in our company as human first before they're anything else, before they've given any labels, any job description. And so really looking at, okay, what does that individual need? For example, at the healing company, we start every Monday, we start with a meditation and then we go into work life goals. So we don't only speak about work, what are we have to tackle during the week to do do we have to get done, but what does the individual need on a human level that is important to them. And that makes it really easy for us then to navigate within the team 
what does each one of us have to take over to maybe take some of their shoulders in order so they can do and focus on what they need to do to live a healthier life. And that can be taking care of their grandfather or taking a doctor's appointment or taking their kid to school. So really like these things, I feel like they have been neglected quite a bit um, over the years because obviously we live in this super fast paced life. Everything has to be happening really quickly. Everyone is working really hard. It's like 16 hours a day is like was the new normal but really turning back into like, what does the individual actually need and what did that person need to actually thrive on a very like, on the foundation in order to build up on that. So I think that's really key. And every week we ended with a gratitude moment. So really going back inside and being like, okay, what am I grateful for? But apart from the healing company of how we embody healing ourselves, I think it's really key to start with education and awareness. So what can we do to educate people on integrated healing? And then how can we champion these incredible healing practices and products that are out there so that they're more accessible for our customers? Yeah. And you can obviously see like there has been such an immense growing customer interest in alternative healing practices post pandemic, especially. So I think there's definitely the need. People want to be more healthy. And now we just have to give them the support that they need in order to do that. I love what you're saying there. It all starting with those small things and treating people more like humans and, you know, less like people in a rat race, right? Yeah. And as a business owner myself, that's so inspiring to hear that you guys do that every Monday and Friday to kind of start the week and bookend the week. We yeah. do a meditation every Friday. So you're making me think though, maybe <laughs> we do it on a Monday and then maybe we do the gratitude on the Friday. So definitely taking notes. So so let's talk more about the business side. You are yeah. a young, beautiful female founder at the helm of a multi-million dollar business. You are the co-founder of a public company. This is very incredible, but it's also atypical. How do you yeah. navigate this space being who you are? How do you navigate boardrooms where women are always seemingly outnumbered? And how do you hold your ground in this industry? You know, I've been thinking about that quite a bit, uh, that question. But I think, for example, at the healing company, our chairwoman, we have a chairwoman. So our chairwoman is Kay Koplovitz. She's, she's the founder and the CEO of the US Cable Networks. She isn't anymore. She was. And I would say that she is really one of my biggest mentors. She's an extremely powerful woman. And she just, the way she analyzes things, she thinks about them and the way she perceives the world and the way like she walks into a room and uh, she's just this like wonderful person. And so I've learned a lot from her, but I really think that as a woman, you can bring so many different elements to the table and I think we have to start just appreciating that a woman is different from a man. And the elements that a woman can bring to a table are different to the ones that a man can bring to the table. And if that may just be like intuition, we women have an incredible intuition. And I base a lot of my decisions on intuition a lot. But I do think that it's much more appreciated now. And especially in our company, uh, we have incredible women. Our chief marketing officer, she is a woman and her junior is a woman as well. Like we have a lot of women that we have appointed. We just appointed someone new for, uh, for Chopra. She's a woman. So we have really incredible women on this team. And it's just beautiful to see the interaction, I think, within the team between men and women. As I said, the different elements you bring to the table. But me, myself, I think I did struggle with it for quite some time. 
but uh, I was lucky enough to find a, a co-founder, Simon, of the healing company who has very been always very empowering, very supportive, and who has kind of realized my fear, which was quite interesting. And he tried to challenge me. He realized that I wasn't always asking the questions I wanted to ask. And I, I became quite silent in some meetings because I was afraid to say something wrong. And then he would challenge me being like, Bella, why don't you share your thoughts? Like, how do you see this? And I think that helped a lot to really get out of my comfort zone. And I really learned that at the end, you really have nothing to lose and nothing to be afraid of because what is the worst that can happen? Nothing really. And so, yeah, I really started to get out of my comfort zone and to not be afraid of, uh, of sharing my thoughts and, and fears and ask questions as much as I can. Yeah, that's a great point. And how lucky are you to have a business partner who wanted to push you out of those, you know, potential small rooms to try to get you to reach your ultimate potential within that business. So I'm asking these questions because I am currently having some challenges with not people inside of my team, but some external third-party companies that we work with where there are very dominant male figures that I am dealing with. And sometimes I don't feel that mutual respect. And there is an underlying condescending tone with some of these people that I have to work with, but they're not actually directly on my team. What would you do if if you were in a scenario where you were face-to-face with a man who just was talking down to you, speaking in a condescending tone, very kind of alpha male, and, and you need to get your point across? That's a really good question because I would say I'm a very sensitive person. So I do tend to take a lot of things personal and I'm really working on that every single day that I just realize in a moment where maybe someone doesn't really take me that serious, that it's not because I am not worth being taken serious. It's because that maybe the way they grew up or the the situations they had in their life or they were brought up doesn't allow them to open up maybe as much as they would like to, and to appreciate maybe my opinion at that moment. And so I really, I'm, I'm learning that at the end, it never really has to do anything with you. Um, if you feel that whatever you just shared was right and valid, then it was. And you don't really have to explain to anyone that differently. And um, I think that was really one thing. But if I get into a situation where I do feel quite like overwhelmed with something like that, and and maybe like emotions arise that I that I don't know where to go with it. I do tend to stick, take a step back and maybe just like go out in nature, go for a walk and really breathe deeply. That has helped me a lot. Like if, if like anger or frustration builds up in my chest, I do tend to to having to escape for a moment and just like step back into who I am, like what is important to me and not react in, in, in any negative way. And then I think one thing that my dad always used to say when I got into a situation where I felt uncomfortable, he said, walk outside of the room, take the time off, and then close your eyes and put a huge smile on your face and then enter the room again. And just putting a smile on your face, the shift in emotions and energy that happens within your body is immense. It's incredible. And so even if you're like, feeling negative feelings and you just close your eyes, you put a smile on your face and you just like bring back that joy and confidence within you and then walk back into a room. Most of the times you flash people with that 
energy and vibe that you come in that they actually are impressed by your presence rather than trying to avoid or ignore your presence. Mm -hmm. It seems like that takes so much confidence and self-assuredness to do. How do you deal with self-doubt if that ever comes up? For any female founder listening right now, what kind of advice would you give them? I think if it comes to setbacks, I think resilience is very important. And I think not giving up. I really learned to not give up, especially with like having modeled for in the past. I I really learned that the more persistent you stay and the more you believe in what you do and who you are, the more things will fall into place. And yes, the setback might happen and it might you might feel frustrated. But at the end, every setback that happens is a learning for the future. And I really realized in my life that everything that has happened in a negative way to me has taught me so much and has brought me to the place where I am today. And so looking back, yes, the moment is really horrible and it might feel like really bad and you might be struggling to really trust and believe and have faith. But at the end, there is always a reason for these things and why they're happening. So yeah, that is my my advice. Just trust in the process and uh, don't give up. That's really great advice because it seems like what you're saying is that when you stay persistent and you keep that inner discipline and you keep going after what you want, you build an internal you know, strength and self-confidence within you because to build self-confidence, you just have to keep promises to yourself. So it seems like that's what you're saying. And that makes so much sense. And it's just practice makes perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Practice makes perfect. That's a good, good quote. So you were a model. And from what I know from friends who have modeled, it's a real mixed bag, often really good or really bad experiences. Mm -hmm. I have found that there's almost never anything in the middle. So I'd love to hear about your experience and maybe the good parts first. What did you love yeah. about modeling? Well, really looking back, obviously it has led me to to start the healing company because I went through a lot of struggles. But looking back, I would I would not want to exchange this time at all because it did have a lot of positive aspects to it. First of all, I met incredible people along the way that are still friends and that I've been like by my side ever since and that that I can always call and reach out to and that I've been so supportive. So that was just like incredible being able to learn, get to know people in all these different countries that I visited. And then obviously I, I decided to model because I wanted to see the world. So I got to travel so much. I got to meet so many wonderful people. And so it was, that was, I think my favorite part about modeling. It just like the ability of being so flexible and seeing so many places and in a pretty short period of time was pretty incredible and living in these places as well. So I really got to learn about these places and the culture and the people and just a different lifestyle. So I do think it was really fascinating. So I would say these were like my absolute two favorite things. And and I also think a positive thing was that I really learned a lot about myself. I was extremely independent and I really learned about like, I think like this, all these setbacks and, and obviously these struggles really caused me to to grow into a pretty strong woman. And uh, yeah, I definitely would say that that's a positive thing to some aspect. But looking at the negative side of it, I think 
as I mentioned before, I'm an extremely sensitive person. So I took every comment or every feedback that I received really personal. And the the start of it telling me that I was not overweight, but that I had too much weight on to become a model. Then I lost all this weight. Then I was told that I was too thin to take get jobs because I looked sick. Then I was told like my hair is too thin. My skin is not clean enough. Like all these things that you hear over and over again, and then going to all these castings and having like people and these casting directors look at you like you were just like an object. And it was all very like superficial. Um, Your looks was all that counted. No one really cared about who you are as a person, your fears, your emotions, like who you are deep inside. And I think that was something that I really struggled with because I am a very emotional person. I am a big hugger. Like I love hugging people. Um, I love spreading love. Like for me, that's just something I'm just like, I really try. I'm I'm a pretty joyful person. And so I think having being in an industry where all of that didn't matter was kind of hard and caused obviously a lot of anxiety and a very unhealthy relationship to food and general, like my health really like my bed. Just, I had no more, like my lifestyle wasn't balanced at all. So didn't work out, didn't eat, slept a lot, worked really hard, had no social life anymore. So there were like some things that ended up where I really struggled at some point. And so I'm glad that I was able to do a cut, but I would definitely say that that was something that was not as great. Yeah. How long did that go on for that darker time in your life? Um, well, I would say at the beginning, there was quite a dark time. And that was the time when I, I graduated from school. I wanted to see the world. I was so passionate about just traveling and seeing new places. And then I got into this obsession of having to lose weight in order to do that. And then I got into this like really bad obsession. And so that was, I think, a really dark place in my life because I went from being in Berlin, growing up in Berlin, being in in the same apartment all my life, same school all my life, to moving to Australia, which was on the opposite side of the world, away from my family, away from my friends, the first time away from home. And then in this obsession of like having to fit this, I don't know, image of a model And that didn't allow me to really go out and be social and meet people because I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't drink, you know, like it was like the social aspect of it was really missing. And so I was really lonely. I was extremely lonely. And I think that was a time where I really struggled because I knew what I wanted to do, but uh, it took a lot of time to like really find a base in Australia of people that I knew I trusted love me for who I am and so I think that was a really quite dark time especially because I'm also a food lover and I would punish myself with food it was really it was really weird and so that was one time and I think then towards the end where I realized that I I was doing something that I loved so much that I kind of overlooked everything that it did to me that didn't suit me and that wasn't good for me and I think that moment where I was just like I'm actually not happy. I thought I was the entire time because I was able to do what I wanted to do, which was travel. But if I really go deep and if I look at my health and all the issues that I'm having, it's actually not good for me. So making that decision was quite hard as well. 
So did everything shift after you made that one decision or was it a slow recovery? Um, It actually shifted pretty quickly because that was uh, the time when I went to India to do my yoga teacher training. And in India, I spent so much time with myself and they really, they really challenged us there. And they made us go over our like boundaries and really stretched our boundaries and challenged our thoughts and feelings and ideas of life. And it was really intense. It wasn't only like a yoga teacher training where you do like asanas and learn about the asana ABCD and just like some breath work. But it was like every morning, it was a lot of lectures. It was a lot of asanas, obviously, but it was a lot of also challenging us physically that I started questioning a lot of my myself and I, I, I was able to go really deep. A lot of meditation, a lot of breath work obviously was part of it. But when I made the decision, like I, where I realized, okay, this is not working for me, the decision was pretty abrupt. So I sat down, I took my laptop out. I didn't have my laptop out the entire time I was there, which was a month. And that day I, I just opened my laptop and I texted my agent and I was like, I'm so grateful for everything, but this is it. I'm done and this is not what I want to do in life. And I was really scared actually of his reaction. And I was like, he will be so mad because he also, he became a friend after all this time and he was always a really big supporter. And I was like, oh my God, like he's probably going to be really mad and all the effort, like all the work he has put into me and everything. And he texted me back and that was for me like, oh, I knew I did the right decision. And he said, thank you, Bella, for sharing. I knew that this was never going to be your future and that you will be, you will do great things in life. And I was like, wow, after 10 years, this is like what he's replying to me. And yeah, I think that was like this like joyful moment for me where I'm like, wow, again, I was afraid of something that turned out to be not like bad at all and actually Mm -hmm. really strengthened me and in the decision I took. You know, that's so amazing and interesting that after 10 years of of modeling you just made this big decision after going to India to quit modeling and then around that time you know after making that decision your eating disorder and these very negative habits that you got into just kind of started to dissipate do you think it was because your life had dramatically changed so much so quickly that there was just no comfort anymore and and you just were able to create this new form of life within yourself like let's go into this a little bit more because myself as well like i've dealt with disordered eating in the past and i know that a lot of women listening can resonate because it's very prevalent, um, especially with us women. So talking about how you moved away from that, obviously modeling was a huge anchor for you when it comes to body image, but what else was it? Like if you can think back, what else could help someone going through a similar thing? I think what is really important is um, identifying triggers. And I think these triggers may include stress or hormonal changes or certain foods, a certain lifestyle and um, really looking at that and also first identifying them and then trying, okay, what can I change about it to take this trigger out of my life? And then how do I react to it? And I think one thing that I really felt, especially looking at like my personal health was because I was traveling so much. I was always on a plane always in a different country, working a lot. 
And then when COVID hit, for example, it was the first time that I actually spent really quality time with my grandparents and my siblings and my parents and my niece and my nephew. And I was gone and traveling for like five years at that point. I was always in and out of Berlin for like a day or two or a weekend for a birthday, in and out. And that was like the first time I was like with my family and there was like no to-dos, no jobs, no place to be, no event to go to, nothing. Just being present in that place, in the house of my grandparents, north of Germany, with a farm around it, nothing to do, nothing to do. And I first thought like, oh my God, this is going to be such a tough time. But I actually, looking back at it, it was, was one of the most nurturing times in my life. This social connection with my family, these long walks, this time by myself in nature, actually having time to really think. I think there's so much happening. There's so many oppressions all the time. All our senses are constantly stimulated. And then just to like take a step back from that and really grounding in like, listening to what your body is trying to tell you I think for me was like one of the most powerful times in my life and a time where I learned so much about myself and what I actually needed and so I think sometimes we underestimate time by ourselves and time with family because we're on like in this fast-paced world obviously where we are constantly doing things and we have all FOMO and like fear of missing out something and having to be part on every party and and going to every birthday and doing every dinner and all of these things. But like, sometimes it's so powerful to just not do that and um, take a step back from all of it. And I think that was a big impact on my personal health apart from everything else. Yeah. There's a theme here, you going to India and slowing down and spending time with yourself and not being so distracted. You having this time in COVID with your family on the farm in Germany to just take time and slow down and listen to your intuition. And those are the moments where it seems like you've had the most incredible transformation in your life. So I just wanted to note that how inspiring it is and how motivating it is. Even just for me listening to you, considering that I'm feeling like I want a bit of clarity in my life right now. Like things are so busy and so crazy and it's making me think, okay, where can I go away for a bit and just turn everything off? Yeah, exactly. And I think, like you said, I think time is the biggest asset that we have in life. And I think what I've realized if I have so much going on and right now I'm in my life actually back again with the healing company and obviously being with my partner and my fiance and and getting married end of the year, there's so much happening and so much we're doing. And I travel so much right now that I sometimes like, even now I'm so I'm already like, it freaks me out that it's already June. And I'm like, I feel like this year just started, but it's like nearly over again. It's just like when you have so much going on, time passes so quickly and we forget to be present in every single moment because we're just thinking about like, oh, where do I have to be tomorrow? Where do I have to be next week? That we forget where we are at that point on that day and that time. And so I think if you slow down, you're much more able to actually appreciate every single moment. And you're not constantly thinking about the to-dos in the future and where you have to be. So yeah, Mm -hmm. time is of essence. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about your own path to alternative medicine. I read that you used to get really bad migraines. Describe yeah. what they were like. What, what was that? Well, migraines, it was horrible. At some point I had them like, they started in school. Like I always had like an issue with headaches. I do think that it had to do a lot with the contraception pill because when I got rid of it, I, I started really early when I was 15 had it, my headaches got worse and worse and worse. Obviously, there was a hormonal imbalance, which caused it. And I also think that's one thing, for example, that a lot of women underestimate the negative effects of contraception pills. And I think it's, it's given like candy. And I don't think that's right. But it's a whole nother topic. But obviously, I, I took it for a long time, had headaches, and they turn into migraines. And I at the worst point in my life, I had like migraines for four times a week. And it was extremely hardcore because I would feel it. They would creep out uh, back from my neck. They would go behind my eyes and behind my third eye. And then my eyes would get really dry. I wasn't able to see light that really affected me. Any kind of noise really affected me. I got shaky. It's sometimes I got really like I had to throw up, but the pain of migraines is a pain I've never felt in my life. And it's just, I can't even explain it because it's just like this constant, like as if someone is just like with a knife poking into your head for hours and hours and hours. So it's just like this, it's so painful. It's, I, I even had to go like, I probably went five times to hospital because my migraines wouldn't stop and they would go over 24 hours to go get, get an IV. Uh, IVs really helped. But yeah, I think, yeah, it was a really, really horrible time. And it also brought this like sense of fear because I wouldn't leave my apartment without having uh, these pharmaceutical drugs in my bag. And the moment I felt it, I had to react and take one. But that would then have the side effect of me feeling completely knocked out. I could go to bed. I literally felt like I was tied to bed. My body felt so heavy. And so it, it really had like, both was bad, you know, having migraines and taking the pill kind of made them better. But then like my body felt really shit. And it was just like, it was a really weird time with it, combined with a lot of fear and stress, because obviously you, you're always stressed that, oh my God, it could break out again. And what if I, like the worst thing is if I left my, my pharmaceutical drugs at home. And then I was like so stressed out. And I was just constantly thinking about it, that it then a lot of times actually turned up. All right, let's talk discipline for a moment, because this is something we all want more of. I know, me too. I'm on the same page. Currently, I am doing a little health kick challenge with myself and a girlfriend. We are essentially working out every day and eating super clean and feeling motivated and meditating. We're essentially being our best selves. And I want to tell you about a product that really helps me stay disciplined. It like honestly changes my brain chemistry and I can't not tell you about it. So this is the Peak Power pre-workout drink from Organifi. I don't even use it just before working out. I use it if I need a little pick-me-up. I'm not really drinking coffee anymore. Coffee doesn't even give me energy anymore at this point. I'm so over coffee, it makes me crash. So I've been really into more of these sustainable energy and no jittery crash type of drinks that are all organic and natural. And one of those is definitely the Peak Power Drink by Organifi. It tastes like lemonade, and I actually drink it before I need to sit down and do a couple hours of work 
work. Of course, I love to drink it right before I go to the gym and work out. Whenever I'm needing a boost, it genuinely just brings discipline into my energy field, if that makes sense. No, but I'm being serious. Like after having it within 10 minutes, you just feel reinvigorated. You're excited. You're energized. You're feeling like you want to go do a ton of things. So I would highly suggest if you are needing a boost, try the Peak Power Drink from Organifi. And you guys know I've been a lover of Organifi for years now. So we have partnered up. You guys can get 20% off your entire order at Organifi if you head to www.organifi.com forward slash Mimi. That is O-R-G-A. NIFI.com forward slash Mimi and use the code Mimi for 20% off anything, including the peak power drink. And while you're at it, definitely go grab the vegan protein powders they have. They're so good. I have them in my smoothie every morning. And while you're at it, the healthy hot chocolate alternative Organifi chocolate gold is so delicious too. And finally, the glow drink. It's amazing for skin. You guys can tell that I'm pretty obsessed with these products. So definitely go take advantage of that 20% off offer and let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So what did traditional medicine tell you to do about these migraines? I think one thing that traditional medicine really taught me was that to see these things that happen to you and these pains that your body cause you to don't see them as like, not try to fight them, but actually to really understand where they're coming from because your body always wants to tell you something. Your body is not your enemy. Uh, It's your ally. Um, And so your body wants to tell you something. Something is out of balance in your body that is causing this ailment. And so traditional medicine has really taught me to become more aware of myself, identify the triggers, make dietary changes, lifestyle changes that could be a trigger for migraines, for example, or like caffeine or alcohol, processed foods, all of these things. I think obviously herbal remedies helped me a lot that uh, got my body back into homeostasis. Also really looking into, am I having, getting the right micronutrients and enough micronutrients and macronutrients into my body, reducing stress on all levels. I use a lot of acupuncture and acupressure as well. Uh, that were trigger points that you were able to that you're able to release with that and so yeah it it just taught me to really see my body as a whole and if my if my if my head hurts and I have migraines it might not have to do anything with my 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 mental health or my head but like maybe something is out of balance just anywhere in my body that is being released through the migraines and so just learning more about myself becoming more in tune with myself is definitely something that I learned through alternative medicine. Yeah. You know, what's so funny there. I think I said traditional medicine, but in my mind too, when I was reading that, I'm like, wait, isn't alternative and more Eastern medicine, the traditional medicine, because isn't that what we used ages ago up until about a hundred years ago? Exactly. I guess I meant Western medicine, but I was going to ask you this after. So that's perfect. (laughs) That's what more of of an alternative medicine approach taught you. But then I'm curious to know from a completely different contrast, what did Western medicine tell you to do taking these pharmaceuticals and how were they trying to approach the problem? And obviously I'm guessing you went Western before you went alternative traditional, right? Yeah, I definitely, I I went Western before I went traditional because my mom is a pharmacist as well. So she is very like, 
pharmaceutical focused, if I may say. She is aware of alternatives, but um, and looking at other things. But she's she does see like the easy way out a lot of times by just like suppressing symptoms. And I think that is what the, the Western medicine did, right? It it treated my symptoms, which was great because it helped me in that moment. And I think for any acute symptoms, pharmaceuticals are great, but it never helped me to really reach the underlying issue and cause of it. And so for that moment, it was great, but in the long run, it didn't do me well. And also with all the side effects, obviously it, it gave me something other than that wasn't great as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So do you ever get your migraines now anymore or not really at all? I do, but like, I can't even compare it to how it used to be. I got it four times a week. Now I get it maybe like once every three months. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah, I do get it sometimes. It has to do still a lot with like my hormonal imbalance. I feel it if mm. I'm stressed or if I get in my period or something like that. They sometimes come up, but first of all, they don't last as long as they used to do. And second of all, it's just like once every three months was like three, four times a year. So Yeah. It's not that bad then. No. What was the single most important thing that you did that directly impacted the migraines in a positive way? Was there one thing, you know, you're saying acupressure, acupuncture. Was there one thing that you really noticed? Oh my goodness, this really helps. Yeah. So first of all, getting rid of my um, contraceptive, yeah. contraceptive mm-hmm. pill was like made a huge difference, huge difference. But then again, as like, tackling my stress um and obviously cbd was one big uh factor of that and a big supporter i was able to reduce my anxiety uh which then reduced my stress levels and also reduced my my migraines yeah great yeah that's that's really good to know and for anyone listening dealing with that trying alternative routes is is such a great tip so when did the interest of making this a career path come up for you? Obviously, you were experiencing your own um, health issues with the migraines, and then you discovered alternative medicine. When did you think, you know what, I want to make this a career? Yeah, a good question. Because I think I never really actively decided that it's going to be a career path. I think the things just fell into place, and I just trusted and, 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 and went along with everything, everyone I met, and I think one big thing, I wasn't afraid because at the moment, the time where I decided I didn't want to model anymore, I don't know. I, I, I felt that I wasn't afraid what would happen next. It was really weird. It was like this feeling of safety that I had. Um, and I think obviously that was given a lot to me by my parents that I always have a place to fall back to. So there was a really big sense of safety. Uh, so I just, I don't know. I had, I was confronted with CBD in the U.S., went to India, decided I would stop modeling and then met someone that was also interested in CBD. We'd started the company, the medicinal cannabis company in Germany. I went into it. I didn't enjoy it as, as much as I would. So I went out of it. Obviously that was a moment in my life where I was like, damn, what am I doing now? Because like from the modeling, it kind of was like a smooth transition into the CBD business. But then when I actively decided I would want to go out of it, there was like when I had a little bit of a dip where I was like, Phew. but I was so passionate about sharing my experience and how I was able to heal myself with traditional medicine and, and alternative medicine in so many ways that I knew I had to do something with it. I was, I just, 
everyone I met, I shared with them about like the frustration I had with pharmaceuticals and, and how I feel that we are not going deep enough and we're not looking at the person as a whole. And there is so much missing and people should start meditating and people should doing breath work. I came back from India and I was like, if I could do one thing, I would want to send everyone that I love in my life to India to do that program that I did. And I was just like so passionate. I just had to, I, I just had to share it somehow. And I was lucky enough to meet the right people along the way that listened and took me serious and that helped me to start the healing company and grow the healing company to where we are today, that that caused in my career path now to be the way it is. But it was never like a decision I took actively in a moment of my life. Mm-hmm. So on that note of meditation, obviously you're a big fan of meditation and its healing properties. Tell me a bit more about your practice. So my practice, it differs every day because I travel so much. I never get to really stick to to my morning routine as much as I would like to. But there's not one morning where I leave out my breath work, my meditation, or my yoga. And it might be just a five minutes in total. Sometimes I wake up too late. I have to run to the airport. But I take these five minutes and I do three minutes of stretching one minute of breath work, one minute of meditation. Like there's every morning I do that and I'm really consistent with it. Sometimes it might be five minutes. Sometimes I get to do it for one and a half hours. So it really, it really changes on my mood. Also what I feel my body needs. Do I need more like a stronger workout? Do I need something really soothing? Do I just need like 10 minutes today? Do I feel like I need one and a half hours today? Like it really depends every day, but I, I always have the same sequence of doing my yoga doing my breath work, doing my meditation. And um, yeah, I follow that pretty religiously. Beautiful. And you just guide it yourself. You just close your eyes and you yeah. meditate. You don't think of anything. It's more the traditional kind of clear your mind type of meditation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very like just clear your mind meditation. Um, sometimes I just sit in silence. Sometimes I repeat my mantra. Sometimes I just ask a couple questions, five questions. I say, I'm sitting down, closing my eyes, and I'm repeating, who am I? What do I want? What is my purpose? And what am I grateful for? Um, And I repeat these questions, and I'm not looking for any answer. You're not supposed to have an answer in that moment. Just sit with it. Um, Sometimes things might arise. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, so also that varies quite a bit. Beautiful. I also read that you're a fan of psychedelics. Yeah. What do you tell someone that may be a little bit scared to try something like that? I have personally done one uh, experience with plant medicine, and I'm interested in exploring more, but the psychedelic side of it does sometimes scare me because I'm scared of something visual popping up. Yeah. What I did was not very visual. So I'm curious to know from you how do you use this medicine and what would you tell someone that is interested, but a little bit fearful? Yeah, it's a good question because it's so funny when, when you say um, you're a fan of psychedelics, because when I look back who I used to be or how I used to think about it, I was like the biggest critic you probably could have met about psychedelics and drugs in general, the biggest critic. If I look back at school, like when there were boys in my school uh, taking like, CBD or are smoking a joint or whatever, I would freak out. I was such a big critic about drugs in general. I never took drugs my in my entire life. Uh, never wanted to. 
I was afraid of it, wanted to stay away from it. I didn't see like there was any urge of doing it. But being in the healing company and meeting quite interesting people, I became curious um, about the healing and health benefits of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's really crucial to emphasize that psychedelics is not for everyone. And it's perfectly valid to decide that they're not the right choice for you. So I think that's that's really key. And I think it's it's just essential to make in, informed decisions that really align with your values, your personal circumstances, um, and your level of comfort. So I think that's that's the most important thing. But then next up, I think if you then decide you want to do psychedelics and you feel like, okay, maybe I want to try it because I'm, I'm super anxious, I have depression, or I want to challenge myself to another level, go deeper within me of my needs and my emotional maybe discomfort or whatever is inside of you or you may feel. I think it's number one, it's key to educate yourself. That means like really go deep into looking at the effects and risks and the potential benefits, of course, of the drug that you decide to take or the psychedelic that you try to take. And then I think it's key to always start with a low dose because you, sh you should never forget that you have control over your personal experience. And I think that's something that took the fear away from me because I knew I can decide, actively decide how deep I want my experience to be. And I started super so like I the first time I took psychedelics that was such a low dose that I was literally just like having a good time. Like I was just laughing more, but I didn't feel any like mental or uh, mm. effect at all. So you can you have the power of your experience. Um, so always start with a low dose. And then a key is really the set and the setting. So I think it's really important to to always be in the presence of a trusted and um, experienced person that is your trip sitter, basically, <laughs> that can always provide you reassurance and that is there to hold a safe space for you. I really wouldn't recommend anyone doing it by themselves. I really think that um, psychedelics is a form of medication and it can be such a powerful tool to deal with issues that you have in life or things that bother you but i do think that in many ways it can also be misused and used in the wrong way and so i think always being in a place in a safe space surrounded by someone that is really there to take care of you that is able to reassure you and hold space for you in the moment that you are in that vulnerable moment that you are that you actually that that will give you this sense of safety that you need in a trip like that and then I think also like integrating your experiences afterwards is really key so journaling writing down what that experience meant to you maybe what it taught you maybe the questions that arise how you maybe want to see it or try it again maybe go deeper the next time maybe go less deep the next time like really integrating your experience and the insights that you gained from your trip And then, obviously, I think it's always important to go in it with the right mindset and intention, as I said earlier. So be open-minded, be curious about it, and really have a clear intention when you go into it. What is it that you want to get out of it? And don't be afraid, because at the end, if you are with someone that knows what they're doing, if you have a trip sitter, if you have a safe space, nothing can happen. And these doses of psychedelics are always like a microdose. So they're so small that yes, obviously you can go quite deep, which is your own um, 
which is under your control, obviously. But most of the times, these microdoses, they will get you to a point and you will easily get back out. And so letting go of that fear, being open-minded and curious will just resolve in a much better experience overall. What is the number one biggest lesson or, I guess, message that you've learned from one of these plant medicine experiences? When you look back on all the experiences, what's one big thing that has come through that you've realized? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I think that overall letting go of fear. I think a lot of times I was in my life, I've been in very, I was a very fearful person, always afraid of like trusting my intuition, trusting what I felt was right. Um, my belief system, my values. And I think it really taught me to have trust, have faith, and to just enjoy every single moment of your life because you never know when it will end. And I think sometimes we are in this like rat race and we forget how lucky we actually are to exist. And so I think just this like power of existence and just being grateful for every single day that I wake up and I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm surrounded by my friends and my loved ones and I'm able to walk and I'm able to use all my senses. Just like I really learned to to be much more conscious about these things in my life compared to the past. Beautiful. All right. We're going to shift gears here and talk about business again after that beautiful conversation. I would love to hear a bit more on how the healing company was formed. You guys launched just over a year ago, right? It's a very new company still. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we launched about like 18 months ago, I think. And yeah, it was, it was quite a journey, but as I said, I think everything kind of fell into place um, in the moment of time we needed it to. And you just felt that the need of really looking at this broken healthcare system right now, where just like the spending on healthcare is just like crazy. Um, I think 95% is actually, is actually spent on treating sickness, whereas 95% percent of that are of these sicknesses are actually preventable through lifestyle changes and I think there is such a lack of knowledge and education in that space that especially after the pandemic and as it was like a shift of values and people really realized that they can take control of their own health and so it just all fell into place and I think we we happened to start this company where, when it was most needed. Um, and it's still really needed. It seems like your company is on an acquisition spree at the moment. Late last year, the healing company bought your super, the plant-based superfood company. What do you look for in a company when you're thinking about acquiring them? Yeah. So that's, that's a good question because we do a lot of due diligence when it comes to our companies. I think we really look at like really three non-negotiable principles, which are having um, clear product efficacy. So having research on the ingredients and the products that they're using, looking at the purity of the product, the potency of the products, uh, having the right concentration of ingredients so that we that they're actually trustworthy and credible and having a really transparent and ethical supply chain. But then on the other hand, 
we obviously look at the storytelling potential of each of the individual brands. So how can we how can we build their the story of the brand to help them raise their impact um, and to resonate with their customers more deeply? But I think one of the biggest issues we're trying to tackle is the fact walking into a CVS in in the US, for example, it's such an oversaturated market. There's such a lack of regulation. People can just sell whatever they want to sell in the supplements industry. So we want to really find the the high potential brands that have great healing products and practices and support their founders, their team to have a greater impact, bring all these brands together, unite them to create this movement where they support one another, find synchronicities within each other so they can really thrive from each other and grow together. And being this like one-stop approach for our customers to know that whatever we sell, you can trust. It's credible trust. It's backed by science. It's backed by research. We do lots of tests so that we we really can assure that what we're selling is not dusting, uh, not dusted products, but like they purely have the right intention and the right effect. Mm-hmm. How do you know if a company is a fit? Do you know immediately after all this research, you come to this conclusion? Is it about the founder? Is it about revenue? Tell me a little bit more when it comes to the green flags when acquiring a new company. Yeah, so we definitely, it takes a while. It's obviously we find a brand, we think it looks great. We look at the numbers, obviously. It's always important to see, okay, like what is their cogs? What is their spend overall? Are they profitable? Are they not profitable? If they're not, why are they not yet? Is there anything that we can change or shift within them? Do we have to reduce overhead? All of these different things. Um, we obviously look at these key factors, but then we really go into like, who are the founders? Why did they start this brand? Did they start this brand with the right intention and purpose? And then we look at the the products. Are the products actually what they're saying they are? Do they have the effect that they that they say they have? So then we go deeper into that due diligence aspect of things. So there are multiple things we look at, and it's it's not really not an easy it's really not an easy thing to do. In our pipe drive, we like scanned over three thousand five hundred companies, and it's just it's really it's really hard because it's such a saturated market to find really the key players in this game that can have an Im- impact. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you know when it's not a good fit? What are some of the red flags? You know, there are obviously the ones like revenue and and not being profitable potentially, but what are some red flags that someone might not expect? <laughs> I think a lot of products that are sold today, they don't include the ingredients they say they do. And so what? because there's such a legal? regulation. <laughs> yeah, it's such a lack of regulation, it's incredible. Like Wow. It's it's really and also obviously the not every product is the same, right? Not that magnesium is the same as this magnesium and that vitamin C is the same as this vitamin C. So they're high quality ingredients uh, that make a much bigger difference. And so dusting, for example, means that they add things into the capsules that make them look full or um that are but that actually don't include what they should. Um and so there is a lot of like mistrust in this industry. And so that's definitely a challenge and, and, and something that is like an absolute no go for us. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point. (laughs) So what kind of benefits do you offer your partners? If you acquire, you know, their company, how, 
how do they benefit the people that you buy it from other than obviously being bought out? Yeah. So we really, we, we combine their expertise in the healing products and practices that they have with our expertise in, in storytelling and distribution and international relations and e-commerce. So we have such a right range of powerful people in our team that can really be and, and be, a, be a great support of their team. Um, and so when they join our company, we really want to strengthen their team from within. So we bring our people inside, we figure out what maybe the issue is or where we can build a stronger foundation. Uh, we try to clean up everything where there's like kind of cleaning needed. And so we are just like their right hand support to grow their company to the next level. Do you always purchase 100% of the company or do you sometimes act as more of an investor role? Yeah, no, it's majority, uh, preferably 100%, uh, but majority. And um, I wouldn't say we act, yeah, but we are very like an active investor. So Cool. I read that Deepak Chopra met your business partner on a retreat and then he became your science advisor. What happened on that retreat? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was a retreat from uh, from Deepak that we uh, we went to, and it was just a very small group of people. We were fifteen with Deepak together in the middle of nowhere um, on a horse farm in the U.S. And it was all about like longevity, quite a bit, but about mindfulness and these kind of things. But we just had a really great connection, and um, I shared about with him about the healing company me and my co-founder did and our vision and mission. And it just really aligned with what he did. And we just got along. Really, we clicked um, instantly. And it just, we became friends. And there was such a trust between us. And he's become such a mentor. And he's taught me so much about like life and myself and relationships and everything. It was it was just like meant to be. It was It was quite nice. Yeah. It seems it was meant to be because in March of this year, Deepak Chopra announced that he was stepping down from day-to-day operations within his companies and that he was selling his app, his retreat business, his wellness resort to your company. I want to break down this deal because this is humongous. How did that conversation begin? Um, Well, I think Deepak is at a point in his life where he just wants partners that he can trust deeply and that are aligned with his um, value system and his mission and vision and that will always support um, his mission of achieving 1 billion people for a more joyful and just and sustainable life and having his legacy live on forever. And yeah, so we got to the conversation. He wanted to build out his product line. Um, He just wanted support on the business side of things and it just really worked really well. And with his incredible team and combining their experts with our experts was just like a match, match made in heaven. <laughs> incredible. And what responsibilities does this acquisition come with for you? Well, I think that obviously it's a huge responsibility because we want to keep his legacy going and we want um, him to always feel proud and engaged and that he, that all the hard work and intention that he has already put into the company over the last years, we're taking seriously and we're doing something out of it. And so we really think that by actively supporting his team 
um, and growing the business side of it, we can grow this business to the next level and reach more than a billion people on this planet. Of course. And he already has a huge social media platform. So how do you guys plan on maintaining that authenticity of his voice while also incorporating those assets under your umbrella? Yeah. So he's really, we work with him on a day-to-day basis. So he's still our advisor. Um, everything that we do with Chopra, um, he signs off because he is so involved and he's so, it's so important for him to be really, that everything is backed and, and with science and uh, with facts and figures. And so nothing that we do with Chopra is um, not with him and his is not aligned with his voice and whatever he wants to share with the world. So we're really, we're, we really take that seriously that he always receives updates. He knows what is going on and um, he's still very involved. How many more deals are you hoping to close this year at the healing company? So uh, we're hoping to close another two deals, uh, two to three deals this year. And then like overall 15, 15 deals in the next three years. Cool. Quick fire round. Are you ready to wrap it all up? Yep. What (laughs) keeps you up at night? (laughs) What keeps me up at night is I think the current issues in this, on this planet right now is like the market situation, the war in the Ukraine, the health crisis. It's something that really, I get a heavy heart thinking about that. But then also I think my family that um, I think about them a lot when I travel so much, if they're well, if my family and friends are well, if they're safe. And yeah, I would say that really keeps me up at night. You might've already answered this one, but what is your non-negotiable wellness practice? So a non-negotiable wellness practice is definitely breath work because I can do it anytime, wherever I am. Um, when I'm sitting on the plane, I do my breath work. When I'm in a car for longer periods of time, I do my breath work. So it really sets my nervous system and, and the vagus nerve back to into homeostasis. So that's really key. And then one thing I can't live without, it's not a practice, but it's a routine, is uh, my warm water with lemon every morning. Beautiful. What is one beauty product that you can't live without? A lip balm. I'm such a freak. I don't know why. I When it started, it's just like I have this obsession. I would not leave any place. I freak out if I don't have my lip balm with me. So <laughs> I think we can all agree that the worst feeling in the world is having chapped lips <laughs> without lip balm. <laughs> hate it. Yeah. So it's always with me. I have like tons in every bag and every jacket. There's a lip balm. Totally. Do you pray? I know you meditate, but do you pray and how? I do. I wouldn't say like I'm extremely religious, but I do feel like that there is, I don't even think that there is like a human like that I prayed to, but it's, it's like this energy and this, the universe that I just ask sometimes for support. And my grandmother passed away two years ago. So I do pray a lot for her and to her. And I ask her sometimes to like, I don't know, whenever I need support or love or when I'm scared, um, I speak to her quite a bit. So beautiful. How do you let go of resentment? I think, first of all, I really acknowledge it and understand the resentment that I'm feeling. And I just recognize that I'm holding on to it or what I'm holding on to and the reasons maybe behind it. And I just start reflecting about whatever is bothering me in that moment. And then I think I next I would like validate my emotions. So really giving myself the permission to feel whatever I'm feeling, if it's anger or hurt or grief or sadness. And then I really just practice empathy and forgiveness. And so 
I think that's really important to um, not hold on to things because it takes up a lot of space and energy within you. So letting go and trying to understand the perspective of maybe your counterpart or whoever caused you that resentment um, and yeah, practice self-compassion and really letting go. Yeah. What do you think the next big wellness trend will be? <sighs> the next big wellness trend, I think definitely functional and personalized nutrition. I think that's really important because it's all about bio-individuality. Everyone is different. Everyone needs something different. That's why I really don't believe in diets because every person is so different and the diet won't work for someone and will perfectly work for someone else. So I think, yeah, personalization is really key. And I think that AI will play a big role in that as well and be a big supporter of that. And we'll be able to really tackle each person's individual needs um, and, and, and formulate whatever they need. Right. And on that note, AI is on all of our minds these days. How do you see that AI integrating with health and wellness? Well, as I said, I think definitely it will be a personalization aspect of it that will help support that in many ways. So it will be able to just like figure out, have all this data, you know, of all these people and of everyone individually and just figure quickly out like what does that person need? And yeah, it's just, it's just going to make things much more efficient. Does anything scare you about AI and, and should it have, you know, this massive control over the future of wellness? Yeah, definitely. I think two things that really scare me about AI is first of all, security um, mm. and safety. Uh, mm. That is just part of it. I think that there's definitely a potential misuse um, of AI, for example, cyber attacks or hacking or any AI weaponry that might be developed. And also, obviously, the tons of images that we have been seeing on the internet circulating of like fake mm -hmm. things that you can't really like as a normal person, you don't know if that's true or not. So I think this is kind of things that really, I think, are a misuse and I, I think they're not great. And then also like a loss of human connection. So I think that AI can also cause human interactions and connection to be really compromised. Um, and that's something, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So last question of the day on my podcast, I am all about calling in our ultimate selves. I also call that our future selves, the version of ourselves that we aspire to be, that we can start living as now. And yeah. we talk a lot about goals and visualization as well on this podcast. So I'd love to ask you, Annabelle, 10 years from now, what does your future self look like? Who is Annabelle in 10 years? Um, it's a good question, but you know, I, I don't really have the answer because I don't try to look that much into the future. I really try to be present every single day and do whatever feels right today. And that might be very different in five years and very different in 10 years. So, but I do see myself with children, um, being married as I'm marrying end of this year. And, um, I want to really be more in nature at that point in my life. So, not anymore as much in a big city, but really surrounded by a big garden, um, planting my own food and uh, herbs and having animals and just like really setting down and um, grounding, grounding more and being more in interaction with nature. That's a beautiful answer. I love that. All right. Where can everyone find you on social media if they'd like to connect with you? Yeah. So uh, personally, I'm uh, Bella OEL on Instagram. And then obviously the healing company on Instagram, uh, YouTube, 
uh, our website, healingcompany.com, on our all of our social channels. We're called the Heal underscore Co, where you'll see all the information and education things that we post all about the brand that we have acquired and uh, overall wellness trends. Incredible. Thank you so much for spending your time with me, Annabelle. This was such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Mimi. Really loved it and appreciate uh, yeah, you having me on your show. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, or leave a rating. This really helps the show and it helps us bring you more of the conversations that you crave. Bye for now.